0: Welcome to the show. Stuart Greif started his career as a management consultant. One of those frequent guests who check in on Sunday and stay for the entire week at your hotel. After racking up the miles and points, Stuart moved on to roles at J.D. Power, Microsoft, and Forbes Travel Guide, where he is executive vice president and chief strategy innovation and operating officer. In addition to his day job, Stuart advises travel and hospitality startups and is an avid supporter of Female Founders in Hospitality, an organization I am part of and the way that he and I met. Today, Stuart and I are going to talk about travel and technology, but before we jump in, we need to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals who have burning questions. If you would like to submit a question, you can call or text me at 850-404-9630. Today's question was submitted by Riley. Here's what Riley has to say. Our hotel is far from luxury, but we want to offer better than expected service. If we only concentrate on one area at first, what should it be? This is such an excellent question, Stuart. What do you think? What's the first priority when you want to offer better than expected service?
1: Well, that's a fantastic uh, question. And Thank you for having me, Susan and, and Riley. Um, the great news is um, my answer doesn't require millions of dollars. Right? It doesn't require a years of lead time. Um, it doesn't require AI. <laughs> um, you know, simply uh, creating a culture where the orientation and the desire to serve and give your guests an amazing experience, little things like eye contact and that kind of attitude that is infectious, like a, a winning team, that kind of uh, spirit of hospitality, of, of bringing joy, of uh, welcoming somebody the same way you would with your own family, um, goes a long way, even when there may be some service disconnects or process or other things that take a long time. The good news, Riley, is um, that's where I would start, is bringing everybody together and getting on the same page of saying, not everything's being perfect. um, And we can work on many of those other things. But let's create this culture of treating each and every guest at each and every touch point like there's somebody we love, right? Uh, Well, I shouldn't say somebody we love. People might take that a little too far. (laughs) Get fired, Riley, or your colleagues. But I think you get the gist.
0: Yes, I totally agree. And I think one of the ways to put that idea into practice is to trust your team to make decisions. To let them make decisions on the fly versus having to run to you or call you with every single you know, question about how to make it right to somebody. You had a foundational experience attending summer camp in Osaka, Japan. I had a similarly life-altering experience when I went to nerd camp for two summers. Now, mine was in North Carolina, not Japan. But I came from a small town and this place was kind of the first time I really didn't feel like a freak. Um So this happened for both of us in the 1980s. So good time before the internet came along and was a thing. And what I'm wondering is, do kids still have these kinds of experiences at summer camps and academic programs and stuff like that? Or do you think the internet has given them a way to find their Communities online instead, and sort of feel like they belong because they can find someone like them, you know, in Minnesota or whatever.
1: Yeah, what what a great question. Um, you know, I think the reality is it's both. I I think it's it's not a one or the other. Uh, My ten year old, for example, um, goes online when he has approved screen time, which is after homework and on the weekends only, not during the week accepting, you know, maybe a little bit in the summertime um, after reading. But he and his friends are gaming together on Roblox while texting through the game, while chatting through voice in real time, the way my generation might have talked on a telephone, right? Um, and, you know, the thing is that's creating a kind of connectivity and connection. Um, whereas maybe in the neighborhood growing up, people used to go in their backyards, but people may be even further further away. That's sad, that's still not a replacement for genuine you know, real in real life um, connection with other people and also experiencing nature and being physical and getting exercise, which we know the science is good for your brain. It's good for your health. Um, our kids are California kids. We live in California. so you know whether going out on hiking or the Japanese notion of force bathing, you know, there's real science. And so I think the reality it's both. I do think, and this is where I think hospitality and travel are so critical, you know, there is this loneliness epidemic and this increase, I think, with um, technology, particularly social networks, where there's greater anxiety and even um, depression in younger generations. We traveled at first for survival and then for trade, and over time, to learn and grow and expand our horizons. And I think in this world, that's you know, often so seemingly divisive. Um, one of the best salves for that is experiencing other cultures, other peoples. The way you talked about it, whether it's nerd camp, finding your people more locally, <laughs> on a you know, or a, more on a macro, having lived in Japan multiple times and other countries to see the human experience through the lives of others.
0: People get into hospitality and the travel business in all kinds of ways. One of the most popular is to quote fall into it. (laughs) But your path is one of the most unusual. It's almost backwards because (laughs) you got into hospitality because you enjoyed being a guest. So talk about that. Talk about how being a hotel guest ultimately resulted in a career in the industry.
1: Yeah. My family didn't have a lot of money or travel growing up. We went to Disney once in the off season. I anyway, think it was you know the only time I was on a plane. But when I was in my early 20s and started my career, I worked uh, in consulting, doing strategy work and, and others. And we had a project that kept getting extended. So I essentially lived out of a big box Hilton in the middle of Manhattan for about 18 months in a 22-month period, five, six days a week. And naturally, you know, the, the the hotel family became my family, not in a way where I was a guest, but where um, they were my friends. They were my family. I got more holiday cards from, you know, folks that I knew in the hotel than I did from my own family. <laughs> and, um, you know, o- over time, it was the kind of thing where, wow, there is so much um, excitement, energy going on. This is a place where you're talking about, you know, creating joy, uh, you know, where, where experience is happening, where, you know, Everything kind of comes together. And I don't mean just the exciting things. I got to meet people like Muhammad Ali. And you know, but but in the day-to-day, even in the minutia. So I used to go down in the service elevators when it was busy. And I'd go down the, on the rare occasion I had room service. I would actually go down and uh, hang out with the folks down there and order personally. And I actually learned a lot just because these were my friends. And in fact, 25 years later, I met a guy at our annual event, Forbes Travel Guide, just uh, last year. When I asked how he got his heart and how he got his start in hospitality, and he's the general secretary for Lake Clay Door, a gentleman named Barack, who's, who's wonderful, you know, from the famous concierge society with gold keys. And uh, turns out uh, we knew each other. He was a, one of the concierges at the hotel, and we figured out 25 years later, which I love because it shows just how much this industry is small and connected in spite of how global it is.
0: That's so amazing. Take a step back for a second, if you would, and level set for our listeners who may not be familiar what the Forbes Travel Guide is and what your role is at the company.
1: The primary focus of a lot of our business on the business-to-business side. So... um, You know, we are the only independent global rating system for hotels, restaurants, spas, and ocean cruises. Um, We work across 80-plus countries around the world, probably 100-plus if you uh, consider some other products and services. And we independently assess, verify, and rate um, based on service excellence. And and our data is this ability to provide global benchmarks and insights um, in ways that uh, nobody else has. That's kind of half of what we do. Um, But there's also this this other area that uh, people don't realize we have this independent service business that's um, separate from our independent rating within the company, which is um, we have among, and I'm not a braggadocious person, but we have just neutrally, objectively, among the most incredible, best uh, professional learning and development trainers in the world. And so, you know, from our perspective, we want the industry to succeed with your guests, which means your business is going to do better. Guests have a better experience. We work across um, not just hospitality, but all kinds of industries, um, and it's not just at luxury where we're known. And on top of that, we also have digital training to complement. So we have something called Energizers, which is this great fun e-learning experience where teams do their stand-up and there's a short exercise they do that's fun and engaging that really helps reinforce the principles that are going to help increase the 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 level of excellence at the hotel i mean product having a great product or hotel especially at luxury is just table stakes they expect a beautiful room they expect a beautiful lobby but what is going to create human connection as we talked about
0: speaking of digital How, if at all, does a hotel's digital presence play a role in how it's evaluated by Forbes? Like, do you look at things like their website or Instagram account, anything like that?
1: Yes, we do. It's it's a part of it, um, and it's you know part of a collective whole. There, um, there are many aspects of it. We have over nine hundred standards when you look across. Um, and I know that sounds So just down. a
0: handful, you're saying. Yeah, just a handful.
1: <laughs> um, across hotel, spa, and restaurant. But it's not to play gotcha. It's the, the the idea is, you know, these are things that we know are going to create a great experience. And just like, you know, a professional athlete trains, you do the training, you do the exercises um, to complement the training that each of the hotels and spas and restaurants or other clients have in ways that make it kind of second nature so that you're not focusing on kind of the technical But you can actually engage directly to create better guest experiences, right? You want to be able to do these things naturally without thinking the way um, any new skill you learn, whether it's playing music or a sport or becoming good at something in your business, you want to be able to have the focus on the guest and what you're trying to deliver, not on the mechanics of it.
0: You are known for being a particularly vocal, active, and supportive ally to women and Black, Indigenous people of color in our industry. How did that happen? Do you ever take heat for it? Are you getting paid? I'm just kidding.
1: (laughs) I'm uh, I'm not getting uh, paid. I think, uh, you know, growing up, I had, uh, you know... My mother and and two sisters um you know probably would have kicked my ass Part of my french um you know i i i had women that i respected that i admired that i also saw in life faced hurdles and constraints i didn't um that was that was one i think there are two other kind of seminal things in my life you know that kind of put that foundation um in place the second was living in japan which we talked about i think um, you know, when you are other, when you look and think differently, and there are some ways where being maybe, you know, a, a white foreigner in Japan in some ways on the surface can seem like you get treated special or just foreigners in general, but, you know, as you get it, get in, but where you um, have a mindset of you're not part of the group outside, I think that experience broadly in a positive way exposed me to what it must feel like, and it wasn't my home. It wasn't my home culture and country, as well as in a, a very positive way, seeing life through, you know, common human experiences viewed differently. That wasn't just about Japan or culture, but expansively in my in my mind and experience. And then, you know, the third thing that I think that was a, a foundation was um, I was fortunate. I went to um, a, a high school that had some very wealthy people and some people like myself in a mix of, you know, uh, middle class and, and working class and 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 very affluent people. And we had a, a very renowned alum, Walter Annenberg, um, who had passed, um, who was a philanthropist among many other things. And and I managed my senior year. I was very involved in student body president. I was able to talk with him and he, and he gave me great advice that sticks to me this day. I'm not gonna tell you how many years later, but always, always respect the other fellow he used, but other person, right? And I think, um, you know whether whether it's uh, the janitor um, who was emptying my trash or the the CEO that I worked for when I was at what's now s and p Global, which owned uh, j d power. Um, you know there there is that understanding I worked in factories growing up, and I think those experiences help you understand that everyone's just trying to have a better life, and that you know not everybody has the same opportunities bring up so it's important to me throughout my career, but especially um, at this stage to support others, to help um, level the playing field. And, you know, I, I think, um, I, I wanna say two or three other things about that, if that's okay. Um, so, so the first is, you know, all the data, Harvard Business uh, Review says that, you know, diverse teams perform better. So I, I think we need to reframe even the notion of, diversity and, and, and these programs as saying, if you as a senior leader or any leader are not seeking to create diversity in your teams, you are doing a disservice and not your fiduciary responsibility to your business and shareholders. Full stop.
0: We like to make sure that our listeners come away from every episode of Top Floor with some really specific practical, tangible things they can try either in their businesses or in their lives. So Stuart, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but you're very famous for writing incredibly detailed and thoughtful introductions when you are connecting people over email. I promise you, more than one person has been like, you should read this. (laughs) Look at how he does this. So many people I know, including me, Have vowed to emulate you when we're introducing folks. So, can you give our listeners a couple of tips for doing a great job of making email introductions?
1: Yeah. And I think, I think it starts, um, even with the foundation of just, You know, oftentimes we can be focused on uh, appropriately, hey, this is my job or these are the things that I'm doing. But we're talking to other people, and you know, whether you're at an event or you know, whether it's somebody that um, you've spoken to or you know in your network, and you can just start with the network of people you know. You talk to somebody, and Susan's like, hey, you know, I'm doing this podcast, and you know, i am um, been looking, you know, for people with AI, even without in, just in the course of the conversation. And I'm like, how's it going? And you're telling me about it. I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, you know, there, there are a bunch of people I know in AI. How You know, so th- th- oftentimes our brains make connections or somebody else has a problem and it's not a solution that you and your business are directly, but you might know someone or it just clicks to say that that little additional... Effort to say, hey, what about would it would it help? I know this person. Maybe they don't have the answer, but I think they're plugged in. Um, And I think in doing that, you're 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 giving value. You're just kind of naturally, I think, in ways that if we were all sitting together in a conversation, or if you're at an event, for example, and you talk to someone earlier in the event, meet someone else, say, you know, bring that person over. Say, hey, do you have a quick second? Mm -hmm. I want to introduce you to so and so. It doesn't take that much energy and effort. And and one of the secrets, I, I think, in the email. That I do is, you know, once you've introduced somebody one time and you've written something and I include like a link to somebody's LinkedIn and some basics for context. Um, and it should be based on the substance, right? It should be, it's not like, hey, I think you two should know each other. That that's fine if you if you think they have a lot in common, but what is that connectivity point? What's the raison to Simply mm-hmm. doing it to do it makes no sense. But where there's something where you're where, where there's an alignment of interests or backgrounds and not about like selling a product or service. Once you've introduced two different people, you have emails where you've already written that once. You've done that upfront investment of time. So the incremental the search, you know, you're sent to pull up the email and copy paste, copy paste two different people that you haven't introduced <laughs> to one another yet, you know, incrementally the variable cost, if you will, is is not zero, but next to zero. And then I think it's also, if you think about it, if you just introduced, I don't know, like two people or connected two dots a week and you did that and just scheduled that in your calendar every week, by the end of the year, you know, you probably have 100 people that you've connected, right, or done 100 connections. It's simply just kind of that quick connection and 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 let people, not everything's going to work out, not everyone's going to do it, but over time, I think, you'll learn what does and doesn't resonate and get even sharper at being able to figure out or just naturally, oh, I should connect these people.
0: Okay, I have to ask you, do you have any tricks for getting out of the loop once you've made a connection? (laughs) A lot of times I'll say like, feel free to move me to blind copy. Um, But that does not always work successfully. So what do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you can do that. Um, You know, I I use the phrase. You know, I I know you'll find uh, something along the lines of. I know you'll find. uh, You know, connecting to be a valuable investment of time. I'll leave it to the two of you to take things from here. or Sometimes it's three people, Um, and 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 then even if they're copying each other, I I don't get in the middle. It's you know, it's up to and and if somebody hasn't followed up, it's kind of on them. But if it's a high value introduction, like somebody very senior, I might privately prompt them. Oftentimes with somebody very senior, I'll ask permission first and I'll want to understand, hey, you know, I might be connecting with you offline and you're telling me things, hey, Susan, looks well, great on the podcast. Um, you know, if I met these kinds of people, would that make sense for you or like those? Which do you welcome or don't? What's so I think, you know, when you know somebody, ask some of the clarifying questions that help you understand.
0: I think that's excellent advice. Okay. Outside of brand or like chain scale sort of economic level. What are some of the things that you personally look at when you are deciding which hotel to book for a trip? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it completely depends, and all of us, I think, on context. And this is where I think as professionals too, when we think about like, who are you, Susan Barry, as a traveler? Well, um, you know, it's different if you're talking about you're going solo on a trip to meet a bunch of friends, or and that's in Vegas versus let's say you know a calm getaway at like a beach resort with a spa, or if you're going for business or it's a big event, or if you're doing something in between, if it's just with a romantic partner or friend where you're going out to dinners, or if you have kids. So I think um John Paget, who's now the president of Princess Cruises, used to be at Disney and kind of innovated that the the um the uh, wristband, where that becomes the beacon. And as you walk around, data has been a very innovative person in our industry broadly. He talks about almost from a customer data profile, as if, you know, you're not one profile that the profiles really should be different based on those different kind of contextual use cases. So for me, you know, if I'm going to romantic getaway or special occasion with my wife, I'm looking at something a little more like higher end luxury. If I'm going with the kids. You know, it's probably something we're going down to Monterey. We're going to stay at just kind of a normal mid-scale near the beach because it's affordable with kids and we're not going to be at the hotel that long. So why pay a lot of money (laughs) for a place you're just going to crash?
0: If you could wave a magic wand and create a new product, service, piece of technology, anything for the hotel business, what would you invent?
1: Okay. Don't check me. Imagine... Here we are. Imagine you flew halfway around the world, You're jet lagged exhausted, wherever you're originating, wherever you're coming to. You know, you go through custom, you get, you know, you finally get over to uh, transportation, you get to, you're tired, you're sweaty, you probably don't smell so good, you've got, you know, all you want to do is kind of, you know, get to, to it instead of being like welcome and embrace, and, and some luxury hotels, many luxury hotels do a great job of this. I'm not saying, but across the broader industry. What happens? You're like, oh, finally, I'm here. Boom! You hit the front desk, and it's like, can I have your credit card? Can I have you? And and it's the the, the this process. So for me, especially if you're you know either a loyalty member or if you're in luxury and it's not really as more benefits and you're known, I, I would gladly opt in. Uh, you know, and whether it's through my phone GPS right? You should know, it's Uber knows exactly where you are when you get picked up. So you should know if, if I opt in that, you know, here are the five or 10 guests that are at different times out coming between the airport headed for your hotel or wherever they may be incoming from. And this is the guest that's about to arrive in two minutes. And the entire staff, whether they have, you know, a, a facial profile should be able to kind of proactively and, and seamlessly welcome me and, and offer, whether it's I'd like to sit down and and while my bags are taken up, have you know a, a nice tea or coffee or drink, or some other uh, uh, member of the staff welcoming and walking with me as we come in, and you know to the elevator if I have any questions, or so I think that kind of a real arrival experience instead of a check-in process. And the technology exists. I think um, it, you know for many years it's been there. there. There are even airports around the world where customs now. Your facial recognition. I get their privacy concerns. That's why I'm talking about opt in. Mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting, um, but but I think you know that to me is one of those things where you're like, can we just do away with all of this? And I know it's not because that's what folks want to do, or all the, the typing,
0: head <laughs> down typing, right? Well, and just the repeating of steps that you've already completed. That's the thing that is the most insane making to me. Like you have my credit card. I gave it to you Correct. when I made the reservation. So why are we doing this again? <laughs> I just want my
1: bot when I, you know, when I even make a booking, I want it to say, Would you like me to pay Marriott with your American Express? And I say no, use my Visa card confirming you'd like me to use your Visa card ending in blah, blah, blah. Yes, please. And then it automatically sends that without me having to type in each and every time. my my payment details and also when I arrive.
0: Mm -hmm. Although I will tell you that fact has made me memorize my credit card number, which I think is a useful skill. Okay, folks, before we tell Stuart goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Stuart, what is a story you would only tell me on the loading dock?
1: God, I think I think if you mean loading dock, meaning we're both loaded, and I'm not a heavy drinker, <laughs> but to loosen, to loosen the stories that I otherwise wouldn't uh, tell. So let's call it the loaded dock. Um, so when I lived in Japan, I. Very good, uh, one of my best friends is Thai. We met at uh, the, the summer language school in Vermont where I actually met my wife as well. A bunch of us were all in Japan for a junior year. So during the Christmas holiday, we visited him in Thailand and a bunch of us that uh, were all studying in Japan um, from different countries as well as uh, my friend Duke and his real name is Vauban but it goes by Duke mm-hmm. and his Thai friends. We all went down to Koh Samui, beautiful island. We're staying on these little bungalows. You know, right on the beach. So it's um, Christmas Eve, and we decide because the property we were staying at was just small, and they didn't really have you know good dining. There was a really great resort on the other side of the island. Apparently, uh, we're all going to go there for like Christmas Eve dinner. And this isn't a religious uh, thing; it's just you know kind of more in the sense of it was the holidays year end. So so we take about four by fours through the jungle. You know, we arrive at this place, and it had been raining, and and so the rains had just stopped. And you can imagine, it turns out at this resort, it was uh, like a whole bunch of groups of these French-Canadian tourists. And they're all kind of seated there already. Everybody's like out there and, you know, for this dinner. And we're trying to innocuous. We've got a group of like 12 to 14 people. So we're just trying to sneak in. It's not, you know, we're not part of the group. You're sneaking right? in if with 14. Okay. Resort,
0: okay. Yeah.
1: So, so you know, our Thai friends talk to the Thai staff and, you know, they, they need to put a bunch of tables together. So not kind of on the sides or in the back, but literally in the big open space in the middle, they drag these steel cables over concrete.
0: My gosh! Right,
1: making the the most horrendous sound. So everybody stops and is looking like, okay, who are these people? And the musical act was a Singaporean Rastafarian playing country songs about places in Tennessee to a bunch of French-Canadian guests, <laughs> along with us who are Thai and everyone else. So, you know, while like with like a Santa hat and lights in a tropical location. Of so, you kind of, so, you, so you kind of get where this is going. And then, and this was a family like kind of group thing. So there were kids around and other things like that. So then they do the entertainment where they clear a space and they ask for couples to come up from the French-Canadian group. And they sit. Um, and in this case, it was men and women that um, had chairs. So they sat the men down in the chairs and they blew up balloons that they put between their legs like a phallus <laughs> and had the women run at them face first, jumping on them open to pop the balloons. This
0: oh, my God. And this is
1: Christmas Eve, right? This Merry is a holiday.
0: Christmas.
1: So 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 this is the kind of surreal experience. So finally, at the end of the night, we're all heading back. And uh, my friend Duke and I get on the back, and uh, keep in mind, you know, twenty, you know, early twenties, young, dumb, you know, carefree. Um, Duke and I are actually standing in the back of the the four by four that has kind of, you know, rails that we're holding on to while we go through the jungle at about fifty miles an hour, right? And all of a sudden, it starts as it does in the tropics. Starts pouring torrentially. Oh no! So we're hanging on in the rain, in the dark at night, like through jungle roads that are not exactly smooth. And I turn to my friend Duke and I yell, "I gotta go." He's like, "Huh?" I'm like, "I gotta, I gotta go to the bathroom." Me expecting him to like knock on the cab to ask if they could pull over. He looks at me, and this might tell you the quality of my my friends. Um, and I love Duke. Um, And it's like, go for it.
0: Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) So so with one hand on the top handrail and the other turning away from the wind, I turned to him and I said, you know, screaming, right? Screaming. Okay, but promise me one thing. He screams back. What's that? I was like, if I die. Never tell my mother how it happened. (laughs) The kind of Uh, stupid stuff you do as a kid.
0: That's amazing. So I'm glad you didn't perish. Stuart Greif, thank you so much for being here. I know that our listeners loved hearing about your misadventures and career. And I really appreciate you riding up to the top floor with me. Well, thank you. And
1: please don't tell my mother.
0: Thanks so much for listening. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 124. Jonathan Albano is our editor, producer, and all around genius. He even wrote and performed our theme song with vocals by Cameron Albano. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. And your rating or review will go a long way in helping us give you more of what you like. Thanks for listening to the Top
1: Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode.